Let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 1, page 45 on your, in your church Bibles, Exodus chapter 1. As you're finding that page, let me just mention to you that um, not next week, uh, but the following Sunday, Sunday the 15th, uh, we have some uh, baptisms, uh, God willing, in uh, the church uh, that morning, uh, Sunday uh, the 15th of uh, May. Uh, and then we're hoping to have uh, some food together afterwards, whether that's going to be in the hall or whether that's going to be back at our place. Uh, we're undecided as yet. If you're able to help out with uh, providing maybe a dish of some kind, uh, the, the, the idea is if you could speak uh, to Jenny, that would be uh, a really uh, helpful thing. I think Jenny might send an email out. Uh, but if, if you uh, uh, plan to be around on the 15th, if you're able to, to stay after a church uh, for a short time, after that uh, baptismal service, uh, then uh, if you're able to provide some food, that would be great. Got a nod from Jenny, haven't missed anything out. That sounds good. Let's turn in God's word to Exodus chapter 1, page 45, and we'll read the first 14 uh, verses of uh, this book. Exodus chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Uh, then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now, uh, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens uh, they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. Uh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. Uh, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves uh, and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they were ruthlessly made to work as slaves. Do keep your Bible open, and let us just pray as we come to God's word, shall we? Our gracious Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray again that we would hear the very word of God to us this morning. The Lord Jesus uh, the great exalted preacher speaking to us through his word. Uh, and Lord, we pray that each of our thoughts and minds, our hearts and actions, our words and our lives might be transformed by the powerful word of the Lord our God. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Jesus, when he was raised victorious from the grave on that first Easter Sunday morning, that was God working his exodus from the realm of death. An exodus from death to resurrection life. As through history, men and women and children uh, repent of their sin and believe in the good news of the Lord Jesus, what's happening? They are caught up in the exodus that God is working, bringing people out of that kingdom of darkness, sin and death, into the kingdom of his glorious Son. When the Lord Jesus one day returns in glory to usher, usher in a whole new creation order, that will be God working a final exodus for the church of the Lord Jesus. From their exile in this broken world, this veil of tears, into his very presence. If you're a Christian and you're here this morning, you trust in the exodus from death of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You've experienced, if you're a Christian, uh, that exodus from sin's reign over you. And yet if you're a Christian this morning, you still await that final exodus from sin's very presence within us when Jesus returns. All that to say, the gospel is the message of God's exodus, of deliverance, of liberation. The Bible storyline from Genesis chapter 3 onwards, when Adam and Eve, remember, they're cast out of the garden into exile, out of communion with God. From then on, the story of the Bible is the story of Exodus, of God bringing his people out of languishing in their exile, of, of separation from him, the very fountain of life. Uh, of God bringing people out of their ignorance from their creator and king, toiling in darkness and liberating them to know him and to be at home with him, to return to life in covenant communion with him. I will be your God and you will be my people. Salvation is the story of Exodus. And this well-known, beloved story of Israel's exodus out of Egypt, it enables us to grasp more fully the glorious realities accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ, his exodus from death in his resurrection for us. Now, I hope all of that is reason enough to, for you to want to spend time in this book of Exodus. Year and a half to get through 28 chapters of Acts. Exodus has got 40 chapters. Don't do the maths. Um, this story of Israel's journey from exile in Egypt, they're in exile. They're brought out as this Exodus in order that they might worship the Lord God in their midst through this work of deliverance. Now, this book of Exodus, it's got many themes and they're all woven together. But the central theme is all about God making himself known. Our God alone, the true God, alone worthy of worship. God who makes himself known through the hardness of heart of his enemies and God who makes himself known through the faithful obedience of his people. 
who makes himself known through the, the power in the plagues and his provision in the Passover, through Israel's bitter predicament in Egypt, and through his abiding presence with Israel in the tabernacle. The purpose of this book is God declaring his great name. I'm guessing some of Exodus will be fairly well known to us. I asked in the prayer meeting uh, some of the things that uh, happened uh, happened in, in Exodus. We can probably list some of them. The burning bush, remember? Uh, the, the ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And what happens after that? It all gets a bit fuzzy for us after that, doesn't it? And we're only halfway through the book. Uh, in fact, the second half of Exodus is full of the details uh, about how Israel had to build the tabernacle, that tent where God said he would dwell. God, having restored knowledge of himself in, in delivering his people. So then, in the second half of Exodus, God comes to dwell in the midst of his people that he's delivered so that they might know him so that uh, they might make that he might make covenant with them i will be your god you will be my people we need to grasp i think as we begin this book that this isn't just the story of of slaves being freed that that is a story i think often how exodus is is read it's a it's a culturally acceptable way for us to read the book of exodus but but it's not the story that we find in the bible this is the story of how Israel, who'd forgotten the God of their fathers, are delivered by him to know and to worship him. Uh, just a few more things to say before we delve into these chapters. The word to serve, it's already come up in those 14 verses we read. The word to serve in, in Hebrew can be translated in one of two ways, a few more nuances as well, but one of two main ways, either to serve is, is to slave, to be a slave, or to worship, to slave or to worship. And this book of Exodus, it, it narrates the transition from Israel's slavery to Pharaoh to Israel's obedience and worship of the Lord. From building cities that glorify the name of the king of Egypt to building uh, the tabernacle for the Lord their God, a dwelling place for God's glory among his people. And this morning, we're coming to these words of introduction in Exodus. They're important words. Uh, introductory words, they're always important, and they tell us lots about what we need to know uh, as we begin to read. Here's some introductory words. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Introductory words, not from Exodus, but from Pride and Prejudice. Those words, they set the scene for the, for the story of Pride and Prejudice. The book's going to be about a rich man who finds a, a, a wife, how he gets to find a wife. But what about these words? A few days after the visit, Mr. Bingley called again, and this time alone. They're the words that introduce chapter 55 of Pride and Prejudice. They refer back to what's already happened in the story. Uh, they, they mention characters that have already been met in the story. And if you look at the first words of the book of Exodus, they're important. They introduce this book, and yet they're far more like the opening words 
of a chapter in a continuing story that has already begun. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came out of Egypt with Jacob. You see, Genesis ends with the death of Joseph. And Exodus begins by going back, not just to Joseph's death, but even further back. If you turned over a few pages to Genesis chapter 46 and verse 8. These are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Genesis chapter 46, verse 8, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, the same language. This is the, the same continuing story. Genesis told us how, how Jacob, who God, remember, renamed Israel, how he and his family, they came to be in Egypt, a famine in the land, remember? And in our Bibles, the, uh, this, this book of Exodus, it's entitled Exodus, isn't it? Exodus means deliverance from, to be brought out of. We're going to come across the word Exodus in, in chapter 19 of Exodus. But in the Hebrew Bible, like many of the Old Testament uh, books of the Bible, the title of the book is actually the first words of the book. Here's the title of the book uh, in, uh, in Hebrew. These are the names. It's not quite as catchy a title, is it, as Exodus? Wouldn't get a film with the title, These are the Names. But it is helpful, isn't it, in showing us that this story continues. A continuing of the story of those whom God had sent into this land of Egypt. And God had promised them that they would one day come out of Egypt. In fact, the first Hebrew word in the book of Exodus is not even recorded in our Bibles. It's the word and. It's untranslated in the English versions. That, that's really poor grammar, isn't it? To start a, a sentence, let, let alone a book with the word and. And these are the names. And because we are picking up the story. These opening words, they tell us the awful situation that God's people find themselves in. If there's going to be an exodus... If there's going to be a going out, how did these people come to get into Egypt? How did they become slaves in need of deliverance? That's what these verses tell us. Exodus, it opens with this picture of life in God's kingdom in exile. A description of Israel's experience of God's creation blessing, even whilst they're in exile in Egypt. This morning, it is easy for us, isn't it, to think, as Christians, that the life in God's kingdom for us, it should be a, a, a life of uninterrupted blessing from God. Surely, if Jesus has died on the cross, if he's risen, if he's won the victory, shouldn't our lives just be a life of uninterrupted blessing? And we can think, can't we, that if we're being blessed by God, then we will not know any hard circumstances. We won't know any bitter circumstances. Suffering, painful circumstances, surely they're at odds with knowing God's blessing. If I'm blessed by God, life will be good, life will be easy. Lord, I want blessing, so take away the bitter circumstances. But what I want us to see here, indeed, we saw it in Acts, didn't we? That often God's blessing and hard circumstances are, are mingled together. 
God's people live under his declared blessing, and yet at the same time, there's pain, there's bitterness, there's difficulty. First point this morning, don't worry, there was a long intro. First point, the fruitfulness of divine blessing in exile. The fruitfulness of divine blessing in exile. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1 of Exodus. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and they multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Seventy of Jacob's uh, descendants go down into Egypt and they were fruitful. And it is a sign of God's blessing. We can't help, can we, but read Exodus chapter 1 verse 7 and, and, and think of the beginning of the Bible, of the first chapter of Genesis and God's command of blessing there. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, we read of Adam and Eve, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. God creates his image bearers and he commands them, go and be fruitful, multiply, rule. And the echoes of that can be heard here, can't they? In verse 7. Here are God's people fulfilling this creation mandate that God gave. Here are God's people being fruitful, increasing greatly, multiplying exceedingly. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, a pastor in the States, has a great illustration of what it means to, to be uh, part of God's image bearers. Uh, think of uh, Russia and the Ukraine. Today, when rulers conquer another country or try to conquer uh, other land, how do they demonstrate their victory? They, they, they want to show, well, I'm now ruling here. They stick a flag, don't they, in the ground. In ancient times, rather than a flag, the king would erect a, a statue of himself made of, of stone or wood, or of his likeness. This is my land. I rule here. It belongs to me. God wants his likenesses, not built out of wood and stone, but out of flesh and blood. God wants his image bearers to fill the world he rules, to increase and multiply. Not for their glory, but so that his name might be known and honoured. God rules here. How does the earth get filled with the glory of the Lord? As his image bearers increase and multiply to reflect his fruitfulness, to witness to his greatness. Pharaoh, he wants to make a name for himself. And ironically, we, we never actually find out Pharaoh's name. And yet Israel are faithful in their calling to be God's people, God's image bearers. Uh, but not only are Israel faithful to their calling to, to bear God's image, God, God shows himself to be faithful to his covenant here, his covenant to Abraham. There are echoes here, aren't there? Not just of Genesis chapter 1, but of Genesis chapter 12, where, where God calls Abraham to himself. Listen to those words from the beginning of, Ex uh, of Genesis 12. 
The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Quite a promise from God to a childless man who wouldn't receive a son for another 25 years. And repeatedly through Genesis, this promise comes, I will multiply your offspring. In Genesis chapter 46, the promise comes again to, to, to Abraham's great-grandson, Jacob. Why are Abraham's offspring so exceedingly fruitful? We are to grasp they are God's people living under his distinct blessing. The creation command given and the promised blessing that they'd increase, multiply into a great nation. One man, Abraham, plucked from the back of beyond, a pagan from Babylon, then into 70 souls who go down into Egypt. And now 400 years later, there are millions of them. How? Because God blessed you. Because you were living under the blessing of God to make you fruitful. God creates his image bearers that his name would be known in all the earth. And it looks like fruitfulness. It looks like multiplying. Not merely of his image bearers, but image bearers who live under his covenant of blessing. Living with him in their midst. I want us just to pause a moment. Some of us this morning, I'm aware, some of us are single here. Some of us are single and want to be married. Some of us are married and, and, and we'd love to have children and we can't. The Lord knows all about our circumstances, doesn't he? We can be sure this morning that an, ability, an inability to have children, that is a, a great pain that is shared by many, many couples that we read of in the Bible. The Lord knows all about that. We are certainly not to think, as we come to this passage, uh, that if I'm unable to have children, as many in our broken world are unable, that somehow that's a, a sign of God's displeasure to, to me personally. We're not to feel guilt. We're not to feel shame. The Lord is sovereign. He knows of our tears. He knows of our sadness. The Lord knows all about our individual circumstances. But we do need to say, I think, today that we live in a society, don't we, where people choose not to be fruitful. Where birth rates have plummeted because children are seen as an inconvenience. Where people are too busy living for themselves. Because we're told, oh, to have children is actually to, be a, to, to do a wicked thing because you're not thinking of the planet. I, I found these statistics today. Oh, sorry, this week's rather. It takes, this is not uh, rocket science, it takes a fertility rate of 2.1 for a population to replace itself. That makes sense, doesn't it? Two people, you need at least two children to just be replaced. In the UK, the, 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 the fertility rate is below 1.6 and it's falling fast. That means for every 20 people in this generation, just over 15 
in the next. Our unbelieving, our secular society, they see children as costly. They prevent, children prevent me from fulfilling my dreams, my goals, rather than being seen as a source of hope of what God might do through them. As we read scripture, we can't but conclude that children are one of the ways, not every way, not exclusively, but one of the ways that the Lord blesses his people. One of the ways he works out his covenant promises to his people. One of the ways he brings glory to his name. We know, don't we, that raising children is hard. If you've ever been a school teacher or a mum or a dad, you'll know that. Not every day with children feels like a blessing from God. As, as parents, as, as teachers, as school teachers, we know we make all kinds of missteps. Easy to look at our world. Easy to look at the brokenness of our world in rebellion against God. And for us to think as Christians, I'm helpless to do anything about it. What could I possibly do against what seems such a tidal wave of, of anti-God, of anti-Christian sentiment? Here's a thought. It's not going to happen, but here's a thought. What would the next generation look like if all of the unbelievers continue to reason children are not worth having while Christians as a community were fruitful and instructed their children in the gospel you see here it is a basic thing we can do can't we we can be those who value family who value children maybe for some of us it won't be true for all maybe to adopt or foster but we can all be involved in, in, in raising children for the Lord Jesus. Might be as a Sunday school teacher. Might be just showing interest in what the children at church are doing. Maybe getting married if we can. Maybe having babies if we can. Nurturing them in God's word. Not to just be a, a lifestyle choice. Not options just that we fall back into if my career doesn't work out. That's what our society wants to tell us. Remember God's creation command. Remember his covenant blessing and be faithful. The reality is, we can hear it, can't we, as we're sitting here? We've been blessed as a church family with lots of children. We should not take that for granted. We shouldn't count it as a burden, but rather as a blessing from God. We want to find out about the children in church. You, let me encourage you to find out about what the children are being taught in Sunday school, in Bible study. And let me just say to weary mums, maybe you've been up all last night, uh, don't lose heart, keep going. For dads, I want us to say we need to be part of uh, an example to our children. We're to do what we're called to, to be faithful and to recognise God's blessing. To grow exceedingly is not only a biblical mandate, it is one of the ways in which God blesses his people. If we are faithful to the Lord's command, he will bless us. Graciously, yes. Undeservedly, yes. But he will bless. But then secondly, here's the point. Faithfulness and blessing do not mean that there will not be bitter circumstances. Sounds like there's too many negatives there. But I think it's true. Faithfulness and blessing do not mean that there will not be Bitter circumstances. You see, the blessing of God often threatens uh, the world in rebellion against God, threatens their values, their desires. 
And that leads, secondly, to bitter circumstances of life in exile. Look at verse 8. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Pharaoh sees uh, this people and they're flourishing. He sees them growing. He, uh, he gets his advisors together. Here's a people who threaten my rule, who threaten our well-being. No remembrance at all of, of, of Joseph and how God had saved Israel, uh, Egypt through Joseph. No acknowledgement at all of how a previous pharaoh had honoured Joseph and his family with residence in Goshen, the best of the land of Egypt. Now, all that matters to this pharaoh is that his land is being overrun by foreigners. All that matters to him is that Israel's growth, surely that cannot possibly be good, a good thing for him and for his people, for Egypt. Verse 11, therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. Now, let's be clear, I, I do think it's wrong to try and find a direct application to issues of immigration in a country like the UK today. The Israelites, remember, they'd been welcomed personally uh, into Egypt. But it is worth mentioning in passing that whatever our view on the complex issues of immigration, we'd never ever want to sound like Pharaoh, would we? They're a, they're a danger, they're a threat to our way of life. We would never ever want to sound like that, would we? I received a flyer through my door, maybe some of you did as well, through my uh, letterbox from some crank group this week, using just these kind of sentiments ahead of the local elections with respect to immigration. A letter full of hatred, full of racism, vile. We never want to sound, whatever we think about the complex issues of immigration, we never ever want to sound like Pharaoh. But I think the, the thing that we're to grasp here is to see how Pharaoh wants to make Israel his slaves to build his city of man project. Can you see that? God's blessed Israel in Egypt. They're fruitful. They're multiplying abundantly, filling the land. And can you see that it is their divinely given fruitfulness? That is the thing that goads Egypt's king to enslave them. Life in exile for those whom God has graciously blessed, it brings bitter circumstances from a world intent on making a name for itself. God's people enslaved to build cities that will glorify the name of Pharaoh. If the men are all busy, if they're all building the cities, if they're all exhausted, all malnourished, if they're separate from their wives, that's going to bring a hindrance, isn't it, to their fruitfulness. And we'll see next week. We maybe know the story. Things are about to get a, a whole lot worse. But just look again at verse 11 onwards. Look at the language. As much as the superlatives are stacked up in verse 7 to describe the fruitful multiplication of God's people, so from verse 11, the words describing their, their bitter plight, they're just stacked up one on another. Taskmasters, afflicted, heavy burdens, oppressed, made to work as slaves, ruthlessly bitter, hard service. And the outcome? Verse 12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad, the greater the oppression, the greater the growth. God's blessing on his people, invincible. Just as he said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. 
fruitfulness, the blessing of God, but in the midst of bitter circumstances. We know that same reality, don't we? Living as God's people today, as we await the Lord Jesus Christ. We are this morning still as God's people, strangers and pilgrims in a world seeking to build a name for itself, living in exile, awaiting that final exodus to the new creation. We need to grasp both the blessing and the fruitfulness and the bitter circumstances of living as strangers in exile both of those things, the blessing and the bitterness, they come equally from God's hand. It was God who sent Jacob into Egypt. Exodus 46, I am God, the God of your father, God says to, a, uh, to Jacob. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. There's that promised fruitfulness. Go down there, I'm going to make you fruitful. I myself will go down with you into Egypt, God says to Jacob, and I will also bring you up again. There's the promised deliverance. But the slavery and the bitter circumstances, they weren't separate from God's plan. Generations earlier, as God had made covenant with Abraham, God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants, they will be slaves there, and will be afflicted for 400 years. Not only did God know, God planned it this way. 400 years. Some uh, who only knew bitter exile in Egypt. That's the only life they ever knew. A uh, future deliverance, just a, 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 a promise. A one day that would, would happen. Exile, yet not without blessing. Just in closing, notice... Israel's calling as the servant of the Lord here was to bring blessing to the nations. God was working here to reclaim not just Israel to himself. In God's long-term plan, he was working to bring the nations to himself. I read this week, great little comment, Israel were a living catechism to the nations. They're the book by which the nations are to learn what God is like. By observing how God delivered Israel, all of the nations of the world are to grasp that ultimately the restoration of humanity would require an exodus, the reversal of exile from God. The exile and the exodus of the Lord's servant. Here's a question I think I asked it some of you in the prayer meeting. Why are Israel in exodus in Egypt? Why are Israel there? Why do they need to experience this bitterness at all when God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey? You see, unlike their latter exodus, uh, their latter exile rather in Babylon, we're not told, are we, that Israel uh, spent time in Egypt as a result of their unfaithfulness to God, as a result of their sin. Why exile? Why the bitterness? Well, quite simply... Because the Lord's servant must enter into the plight of the nations. Because God's servant must enter into slavery, into the bitter darkness of alienation from God. So that in their bondage and in their harsh affliction, they might serve both to unveil the painful reality of what exile is like. And so that in that exile, they might cry out for deliverance to God. You see, Israel here 
are a picture, aren't they, of the Lord's perfect servant, the servant that God would send into the world, the Lord's sinless servant, his son, Jesus, the one who entered into our plate, the one who entered into the bitter darkness of alienation, of exile from God, the servant who entered into the bitterness of death itself, and who was, in his resurrection exodus, delivered up from the exile, from the bitterness, so that through exile and exodus, we might know exodus from our exile, from which God would call us out to himself. The Lord's servant bore the curse and rose victorious from exile, rose through exodus, nothing less than resurrection from the dead. In the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're Christians this morning, we've been delivered, haven't we, from this exile of God's presence. We can come into God's presence. And yet this morning, in Christ's kingdom, we remain in life in exile. We remain in a life where we know the blessing of God amidst bitter circumstances. Maybe that's in our work. Maybe it's in our unemployment. Maybe it's in our family relationships. Maybe even a church. And the bitterness of our circumstances, at times it arises out of the blessing that God has given us. Maybe some of us know unbelieving family members who resent our faith. Employers or, or friends. Oh, we don't mind you being Christian, but oh, we don't want you to be too fruitful a Christian, too distinctive a Christian. Friends, our final deliverance, not yet come. Still strangers in exile, and yet not without knowing God's blessing. And so, we're to trust in him. We're to await his time. He is the God of Exodus.